calling all consumer goods, business owners, and marketing professionals. Does planning content ahead of time stress you out? Do you want to run Instagram and Facebook ads, but just aren't sure where to start? If your answer is yes and yes, then our mini course was made for you. It's 100% free and packed with essential tactics that you can implement as soon as today. To join in, visit our website at umaimarketing.com slash mini course. All right, let's get on with the pod. Welcome to the Umai Social Circle, where we talk consumer goods tips to help business owners and marketers grow. We're Karen and Allison, co-founders of Umai Marketing, and we're being joined by Joy Chevalier, founder and CEO of The Cook's Nook, a truly mission-driven food and tech culinary incubator cultivating community here in Austin, Texas. The Cook's Nook provides commercial kitchen space to its members, as well as business and entrepreneurship development consulting. Thank you so much for joining us, Joy. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. like being with you guys. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's dive a little bit into your background. So you have an extensive background in product management and strategy in big tech. So can you tell us how the Cook's Nook even came to be? Well, sure. And I I make light of it. I was working on my PhD in literature and technology and talking about this thing called a product manager. And were we turning our instructors, you know, uh, teachers into product managers in early early, uh, days of sort of developing online pedagogies and tools and systems and network-based classrooms. And I was one. I was building an entire classroom to teach British literature. 16th century, 17th century British literature, in fact, in networked classrooms. And I was actually building uh, asynchronous chat systems tied to them and all kinds of things. And companies saw all the stuff I was working on and writing and doing talks and papers on. You can still find them all online, probably in the Wayback, Internet Wayback Archive somewhere. (laughs) And I ended up working for technology companies and uh, director of marketing and, and products. And, and eventually after startups here in town and acquisitions uh, on, some, on some products, my focus was really around community personalization and customization of, of technology and data and platforms and, and experiences. Um, I wound up at a very large Fortune 50 here in the area in Round Rock and Basically, eventually owned all of their authentication systems as the product senior uh, products uh, manager and strategist global and got to be the uh, in-house, you know, product management. I've always believed since you have a number on your back is the owner for a strategy and and a revenue. It is the inbound marketing owner. It is the one who determines what needs to be in the market, how to get to market, what is the product market fit, the customer market fit? What is the thing that is supposed to make money? What is the thing that is supposed to drive the business? I mean, the idea of getting a product to market means you have to have a process and a means and a vision on how to get products to market and what is the product. And you have a clear notion of your relationship to a customer, right? There is nothing but them. And then the rest is how do you organize the business and how do you speak clearly to a development and operations process in a form of a series of requirements that are clear, unequivocal, and represent a set of features that you know uh, speak to a persona or personas um, that have real utility to them in the market that will help them solve a problem and get something done and give development a real set of criteria that are acceptable and you know the cost of those things but the cost of those things if they're done well will be far less than the revenue you know that you can make with that audience right at the end of the day and you have a pretty high confidence that you can do that right in that feature set and i just define product management right (laughs) and and to get that product to a launch effectively, right? Knowing what that market needs and expects and to go out and talk to a whole bunch of folks and a whole bunch of analysts and get my product marketing teams and then eventually PR teams and others 
to do the work to speak to those folks doing their outbound work to get that out there. And you get good at doing this process over and over and over and over and over again. And so, you know, after doing it so much and you start to get to a point where it's all you think about and it's what you know how to do. And that's great. And it does lead to success and it does lead to, and I mean, I, I, you know, I had a very successful career doing that, but after a while, you know that that can be good, put to good utility in other places and for other benefit. And for me, that other benefit was how do I see other people being successful in this way, right? Can I show this to someone else? Can we find, are there women? Are there black and brown entrepreneurs who need to know this? I see so many products and people trying to make products. And to me, it is by that time is now natural, right? It was learned, right? But it now comes naturally. And so I decided to go to culinary school at night while I was running those, those kinds of things. I would run a program, run stuff during the day. And at about four o'clock, I would jump in the car, come back down I-35, put my little commie hat on, put my little jacket on and run into school. And here at Escoffier, right across from Highland Mall, jump out. Nobody noticed I wore chef pants during the day. Black is black. <laughs> I was black. They didn't notice. And would do that from five to midnight. I would just show up at work with a, with a lot of food during the day. Would you like some brioche? <laughs> They were like, what are you doing? Brioche? Made it last night. <laughs> Made it last night. Exactly. Uh, you know, most of my team knew. Got focaccia. <laughs> and it was funny. They started coming around to my desk. What did you make? Uh, and that was rice last night. You don't want that. Um, and they knew. They knew because, you know, it wasn't a secret. I had a great circle. I had great, you know, I had great vice presidents and I had great others, you know. You know, Joy's always doing something. And so, because you know, she could do products all day long, <laughs> you know, she'd been doing them for a long time. And so it came, it just happened to be that, you know, uh, one year in 2014, Dell stuck something out. Um, it said, put your name on this list for a voluntary separation. Hmm. What the hell is that? You know, it was like a it was like a lottery. It was like it was like Secret Santa or something. You got to pay to play and stick your name on it and find out what it's about. You're like, okay, what the hell? Oh, well, a lot of people put their names on it. Let's just be honest. Um, there was a lot of names, and my name was on it. And it's funny, my uh, vice president, seat actually the CTO of the company saw my name on the list and said, your name can't be on this list. I went, what's the list? We don't even know. <laughs> I just want to find out what I want to find out what it is. <laughs> You're like, I, I want to win. <laughs> I, I want to win. I know exactly. It's a scratch off. What is this? <laughs> I mean, I had an idea, but what is it? Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, your name needs to come off the list. I was like, okay, well, make me an offer. I'll take my name off the list. Does that basically mean they like overhired or were having like a, a year that they didn't expect? Um, and that's no. how. No, that typically means they're trying to get rid of an entire, an entire sort of band of folks. program. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's a band of folks. They were looking to get rid of everybody between seven and 15 years. They were just trying to cut dollars. Wow. Mm -hmm. Corporate world. We're not yeah, a no. part of it. That's just corporate. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what they did. They got rid of directors, all of us who were at director level. Wow. Yeah. They were well, it, it gave you the opportunity to come do a passion project that's turned well, into and a and career. I, saw, I saw it as an opportunity. And that's mm -hmm. why I was okay with my name being on the list. I mean, I wasn't crazy. I knew. Come on. I was corporate. <laughs> I knew I've I was been here. Yeah. I knew I was putting my name in a hopper. Right. <laughs> so, okay. That happened. And then. The cook strength, did that just, was that always in the back of your mind or did it, was, it take it you was, a it while? Was actually, it was, at, no, it was actually my project while I was in culinary school. Okay. Mm. So when that happened, I was, if I was going to go, I was okay with it. Mm -hmm. If I was, I was, if I was going to stay, I was okay with it. That's why I suggested for them to make me an offer. You had to make me an offer to stay. Love it. 
And they did actually, they made me an offer to stay. It was a good offer too, actually, but I ended up leaving. And so it gave me the opportunity to, to execute upon the project that I product managed, which was this thing I had written out while I was in culinary school, had drawn the pictures for, had done the SWOT analysis and the feature list and written up the requirements for, right? I did exactly the same work. I had gone around, gone around town, done the zip code work, done the demographic work, and done the same exact work I would have done for any new product, right? Determined that there was a gap in the market that was not here, which was how do we have a space and a place that spoke directly to entrepreneurs that gave a centralized place to rally around to talk about entrepreneur issues and functions was a turnkey solution for entrepreneurs to come in to use the space, have a um, uh, co-working space, a small event space, the production facility space, and the business services around them to try to help them launch their products and at least get first initial traction into the market. That was the definition, right? And then it had a set of requirements, right? What needed to be there. Sound like a product? Sounds like a product. You, yeah, I love how you, you somehow simplified it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it seems, you know, like this, like, abstract idea but the way you I guess your brain works is you're able to simplify it and make it something that makes sense and is consumable really yeah, so that was it yeah and I needed to have these features and I wrote out all the features and I Moscowed the features just like you do must have could have right should have would have I gave each feature an approximate cost high level of uh, prior, I started to prioritize them and an approximate cost for those features, right? And then I had to go to a development team, aka a general contractor (laughs) and an architect Mm -hmm. to tell me how much it would cost to get those features, right? And are you, you're solo besides your, your devs. Is this just you? Awesome. It was. Wow. Yeah, me. And my devs, and I went and got a marketing team, aka Flywheel Creative, <laughs> right? I went and got Karen Berry and her company. Yeah, that was pretty much it, right? I think the one thing that's really sticking with me as you're talking about the product management and how it has translated into the Cook's Nook is the, the huge importance of processes. And once you have them down, they can be repeatable and they can be successful. So how important is it for CPG business owners to have these established processes in place before they really start doing the work? They can be, but they don't have to be. But once you realize that you have a process, you should commit to it, write write it down and know when you do it again that you have to edit it which means you had to write it down and put it someplace so you can come back to it and say, and here's how I just changed it. Was it better or did I make it worse? And if you're not willing to commit to the metal work of process management or process change, then you've captured nothing about what you've done. You've captured absolutely nothing. You can't even examine what you've done. You can't even learn from what you've done. You can't take any benefit from what you've done. And so you're learning it every time you step in it. And that's slow. It's slow and costly. Let alone take benefit of looking over and seeing what somebody else has done. You're not even looking at what you've done. And that's what I can't get. I still, some people get that and it just pains me because you can hear it in my voice when I can't get that across to somebody to look at what you've done for yourself. And I get that it's overwhelming for some people sometimes. And maybe that's just, I've got to find a way to not make it so overwhelming. The idea is to get that under control over time, but it's still not pretty at first. It is not, it is not. Your days are long and heinous until that process improvement starts to kick in and you start to realize the benefit of it because you're not stepping at it as much. But you've got to commit to writing down when you do learn things so that 
it benefits you later so that you get control of your time, your SOPs, your processes to benefit you later, right? So you can get start, you know, you're going to invest the time up front. So you get it back in droves later. <laughs> and you can share it with others because you're going to have to give it away. You will not just be you by yourself, hopefully soon enough. Right. I Such feel like that's a, that's a good lesson all in itself. I mean, you have to get your process that may be so apparent to you and the explanation about your product that's so apparent to you. I mean, we see it a lot in the marketing world where you're not communicating it properly to your team or your consumers, really. But thank you for that. And and, that, and I, I would tell you, that's the reason why I was struggling today is because I was doing that transition with someone mm-hmm. and sometimes things were not written. Mm-hmm. And so I, and it wasn't, it was somebody transitioning for some, uh, another role and not somebody else in my company was transitioning. And because it wasn't written, I was having to go mm-hmm. back and do that for somebody else. Right. Yeah. Just, I mean, systems are, should be in place with any business. <laughs> I mean, it's not just you know, a, a tech thing or, or what have you, it really is important for every business. So I, I love how you explain that. And I, I can't wait to learn more about how you think about um, like entrepreneurs as how entrepreneurs should think of themselves as product, really. You, you talked about that earlier, but I really want some more background first on sure. big tech to food. So <laughs> Like, I'm assuming you have a a passion for food. Where, if that's correct, where does that come from? What does food mean to you? Oh, great question. So I spent a lot of time. I mean, it's, you know, and I'll say it's in my own family. I mean, I spent the week of Juneteenth. I did three food demos. It's so funny because we'll talk about this and CPG and food and tech don't actually ever see me actually do food ways work. And food waste folks who I do lots of talks with don't ever see me do this stuff. It's really <laughs> funny how these are really completely split. But yeah, I do a lot, actually, I do a lot of talking on food waste and African-American food waste and food history. And uh, one day I'll write a cookbook. We'll eventually get there. Ooh, we'll get that. <laughs> on coastal, coastal Texas cuisine. I'll get there. But my family cooked, my family's from, you know, Houston, East Texas and uh, Southwest Louisiana. And, you know, my family was uh, one of the first early families in old French town in Houston, which is in Cashmere Gardens, Fifth Ward in Citigast, and started a couple of the Black Catholic churches in the area. And that's just the tradition I grew up in, fish fries and Zydeco and, you know, bazaars and, you know, um, went to Catholic uh, school all of my life till I came to UT. And so, you know, grew up around food and cooking food and making food and especially the food on special occasions and, and, you know, just the real, real food made, you know, I don't say real food, but just that very earthy food uh, in particular out of East Texas, that was very vegetable forward and food, my grandmother and her family and still the food that I work a lot with and celebrate. And I still cook. I cook a lot. Friends, I'm notorious for food and my friends love coming to eat when I cook. <laughs> <laughs> and so the idea that, you know, when I was sort of sitting there days wondering, Adele, what my, what my next act was going to look like, it was, um, wow, I could be at another technology company, but I don't think that's what it is. I think, you know, what is that thing? And I think it's in food and God, it is not a food corporate. Jeez, can you imagine me at a brand company? <laughs> I think I would look at those folks even crazier than I was looking at tech corporate, right? And I have a tendency to look at my own my own uplines like, really? It's a terrible habit of mine. <laughs> and like I said, I was notorious for that too. They're like, you can't even hide your faces in a face in a corporate meeting. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom camera off now. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. I mean, some I mean, I wish. I mean. <laughs> And if people just go, you got something to say, boy, oh, no, keep going. <laughs> but again, I think it ended up, it just ended up being food was just, it was in food. And, and, and then what is that? And before, for Dell, I had been at, I had been at 
startups. I mean, I was in startups more than I was in Dell. Going to a Fortune 50 was, I mean, to this day, my friends who I was in startups with for the longest time here in the Austin area, they still laugh. Because <laughs> they were like, really? When I said I was going to go to Dell, they were like, really? And they still crack, still crack up at that. You know, that was a shocker for me to go someplace so big. And they all stayed in startups very successfully. So, but that's all they ever did. And that's what my crowd always did. And so it was going back to something small. And if it was entrepreneurs, food entrepreneurs, all right, then. So what does that look like? And who is that? And does that make sense? And what are they missing? Mm-hmm. And then that's how I sort of got into that product process. What is this? Mm-hmm. And let me go figure out what that is and what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's afforded me a platform to be able to talk about these issues in food and tech, label it in food and tech. I mean, we were some of the first to talk about that five, six years ago. When we first started talking about it, this food and tech, what is it? It's not big ag, right? It's not corporate food. It is this marriage of food and entrepreneurs. And I'll yank that back all the time when I'm in corporate food conversations or national calls because big ag tried to yank it. No, not y'all. This is entrepreneurship. (laughs) Yeah. Good in tech is about entrepreneurs. It's about new food and it's about innovative food. It's not brand food. Stop. And it's not big ag. Well, big ag is a source of new technology. Understand what you're saying about technology. And a lot of new tech is coming out of ag. But when we say food plus tech with the little plus food plus tech, we're talking entrepreneurs, kids. Mm -hmm. And in specific, one of those categories in that is CPG. Let's be clear, right? But they did try to yank that. And so what is food and tech? Food and tech is this ability to try to take what we've learned in technology about these iterative processes, getting to launches quickly and getting through iterations quickly and bringing that into a culinary space to the benefit of entrepreneurs, the food entrepreneurs, um, and teaching them these same methods and methods of thinking in order to get them their fastest because they need to get their fastest. It's not restaurant work, <laughs> right? It's something else, right? You know, if someone, and even at the Cook's Nook, we have a minimum of, you know, a lot of times people, when they had, when they go into a space, they have a year's lease, right? Our minimum has been four months. Why? Because the idea is that you should be able to get into a process quickly enough, fast enough, get get launched and get some early traction and if we're good it should take you four months wow you're able to are you saying on average generally i know a lease is usually a year but because of that year lease does it take others on average a year to get up and running and you're able to cut that down to four months no what we're saying is we ask you for ask them for a minimum of four months Right. And then folks can just go month to month after that. Mm. Right? Do, a, do a lot of them get there that quickly? Many of them do. Nice. Get something, at least something out into the market and get, get themselves and trying to get others to talk about it. Yeah. And some people don't, but most of them do. I'd say more than 50%, 60%. They get something in there and out the door that they're comfortable with and start to try to talk about it, try to get a sales process going, you know, get into a store you know, get, get into some early events, try to co-brand, you know, a little thing with someone else, do pop-ups, you know, uh, whatever the events might be, they start to do some things. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting um, because honestly, so many CPG founders are, they have full-time jobs, you know, they are coming, they're doing what you did after their corporate job, five to midnight or later, grinding for this mission-based product that they believe in. And that that's who we honestly love to work with as well, because when they have a product they believe in, they work hard. They work hard. The question is, do they know the right things to work on mm-hmm. and say no to not, not work on the stuff that's easy, that comes easiest to them. Even I had to, right? It was Hey, let's go build a website. Joy, yes, of course, Joy wants to go build a website and make some brochures. No, Joy, you're not going to go build the website and make some brochures, right? Right? What are you going to go do, Joy, right? You're going to go do the horrible hard thing, right? You're going to go sit and, well, not horrible hard. It's just the one you don't enjoy. Go Moscow this stuff, 
go and stand down there in the development office and try to get this, this, this building done that you don't know how to get done, that you can't get these people to move on, right? And go do the horrible parts, right? Or what is your process for getting entrepreneurs in here, right? Go figure out how you're gonna go find and meet entrepreneurs and tell them about this place. It's easy for me to sit in the background because I do products. And you know, the, the day I sort of woke up and said, I need to go find somebody else to build me a website and an e-commerce process, that was a revelation for me. I had to give it away. That's not mine anymore. It's not me. Wow. That's hard. <laughs> That's hard as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I can't do that. I'm not allowed to do that. Okay, then what do I do? Well, but I'd save money if I did it. Oh, but God, it would take me, it would take me weeks, right? And somebody can do it better. Mm -hmm. And they'll do a way better job than I would. Way better job. Okay. You know, <laughs> leaning into doing the hard stuff, even if it's not the things you want to do. I think that's a, a good lesson for anybody who's wanting to build something with their own yeah. two hands. Yeah. Joy, go stare at your spreadsheet and figure out where your holes are and make equations in an Excel table and spreadsheet. I could do high level. Sure. But having to really dig into Excel. That was painful. I mean, I, hear that. That. Yeah, I can always get that back from the finance group, right? I had somebody else to do it for me if I really had to, right? Nope, not anymore. God, I hate that. I had to have a come to Jesus about in the middle. I mean, literally in the middle of the night. There is nobody else coming for you, Joy. There is nobody. And you have to know these numbers. You have to make at least an attempt to figure out how to make these sums. Because if you don't know this math, you are going to screw yourself and your husband, and it's your money. It's not Michael's money. It's your money, and it's your retirement money. And there's no more money coming because you're not making six figures anymore. So suck it up and yeah, figure, you, figure it out. Yeah, right? gotta grind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Such a leap, leap of faith. Mm -hmm. It's really cool to hear. Yeah, can you do this or not? Are you good enough to do this or not? You have done this and you know how to do this. Can you do this or not? Then shut up and do it. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were in this process of the shut up and do it, mm -hmm. how much did you have to lean on your community to support you? That's an interesting question. So this is one of the areas I will say, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> because I'm unusual in this regard, because I did do this professionally for a long time, right? It was my job to build the spreadsheets, build a business case, build plans, demonstrate this to somebody else, get the funding and do this work, right? So I could sit at my desk and build this because I've been doing it for 20 years. As an entrepreneur, I think you will find it very difficult. People. I'll be honest, I don't think people understand entrepreneurs. I think sing and think, wow, entrepreneur is great, but I don't think people really understand it. I think it's a mindset that people don't get because it's a level of risk and faith and leaping and risk that most people will never, ever, ever consider. Not do, just not even think about it. Mm -hmm. there's something wrong with you at the end of the day underneath it. There's something not, there's something not right. You're putting yourself in just a huge non-safe place. Yeah, it's the <laughs> ultimate non-safe thing. And you made some other people non-safe around you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm serious. There's something yeah. safe. That's absolutely yeah. right. There's a true vulnerability. Uh -huh. Absolutely. There's mm -hmm. some exposed thing about you that people go, oh, you can, I mean, you can feel it. There's a slight thing. Okay. Wow. That's amazing. I just look at them. Right. <laughs> um, and so I think it's really hard for entrepreneurs to be, to find a community of non-entrepreneurs, family, friends, and others who will commit to them in their endeavors. I think that's, I think that's tough. And if we keep knocking on that door, I think it, it's really hurtful. Because they're not going to risk, they're not going to be that vulnerable and exposed with you in that way. 
I think that is a very tiny universe that will spouse, you know, partner maybe, and maybe to an extent, right? They're going to commit the dollars or the relationship or be there, but not be with you in it all the time every day, right? But they're in it with you because they want you to be successful. They're going to commit their home, their household, their dollars, but they're not going to be standing next to you, right? In the business, doing what you do every day. It, they're just not going to fully get it. You yeah, know? they're not totally and, good. They're not totally get it. But they're like you, I like what you said. It's like kind of not fair <laughs> to, yeah. to to pull them into our our crazy world. Sometimes, yeah, and I'm okay with that. My husband's down. He's been down. He <laughs> knows it's his money. This is his household. It's his business. X, Y, and Z. Calling for anything. He's down. But I'm not asking him to be right here every day. Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand. <laughs> what's happening Mm -hmm. here all the time. And I don't ask him to, Mm -hmm. right? He's got a corporate job, right? And so there's always a little bit of distance about this topic and that's okay. That's okay. And I think we need to understand that and be okay with that. So where do we find that that community you were asking? I think that's why it's important to find other entrepreneurs. I think you're gonna have to. So here's what I eventually did a 20 year season product manager, I went and registered in Tech Ranch's Venture Fourth class. Can you believe that? And Kevin Cohen looked at me like, well, don't mind me. I'm gonna sit right here in this class. (laughs) It wasn't a negative to hear all this stuff again, right? But it was to go and meet people. And I'm an introvert anyway. And to look at people and listen and see what's being done and be okay with my own vulnerability in this. And you'll do a pitch at the end. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you will. I don't need to do a pitch. I'm not looking for money. I don't need to pitch anything. <laughs> right? I'm just here to meet people. Don't I'm just here me. to see people. <laughs> oh, I don't need to do that exercise. But I did. And then they brought the mentors in. And I talked about my company. And it got better each time I talked about it. And I went, oh, I'm getting better at this. And my pitch got better. And my definition got better. And my four Ps got better, right? And even my requirements got better. And then my pitch got better. And then I did do the pitch on the last pitch night, right? And I did have an ask where I didn't used to have an ask. Okay, I get it. An entrepreneur has to have social capital because you can't build your product in a vacuum. And that became- That is a great statement. I just have to point that out. That became the defining definition of the cook's nook. None of us build a product in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. I could in a corporate- but you can't out here. We don't have Michael's money out here. We don't have free money out here. That's exactly <laughs> right. And even in there, you weren't supposed to either. That's an artificial thing mm-hmm. where we can't go out and talk to every customer and jet on jets everywhere and go do what we need to go do. And that became a defining statement in the Cook's Nook. And we still said that you can't build a company in a vacuum we are the first line at the Cook's Nook for you to meet other entrepreneurs and start to get into places and events and activities so you can meet others who help make you and your company better and your product better, right? I, I love I love the, the tie-in to community and that kind of leads me to the next question we wanted to ask is previously you were talking a lot about how um, tech can should influence the CPG world, the changes that the CPG world needs to do based on what tech is doing. But what can the tech world learn from CPG? Oh my gosh. Remember that bit I just said about not making products in a vacuum? So I was hoping you would Don't make in here. In a vacuum. Oh my God. <laughs> so one of the things that we still do in our corporate section, if you stand aside, is we still engage with corporates in a lot of arenas. And some of that is still on product innovation. And if I could tell you what some corporates are doing, uh, you would just 
when there's a, there's a reason why that some of them just are not growing in food spaces. They're just not. And why they are desperate to do acquisitions because they don't know how to grow new products. They don't know, they don't have a process from within to grow entrepreneurs. They are driven by R&D because we made some stuff and we should do something with it or better yet file it. And a brand group that says, you know, we don't have anything in the CBG, CBD gummy sector. Did y'all make something and put it on file? That's what happens. Well, this is going to be a $300 million space. We don't have anything in it. Let's make up something. And then they go build an A-B test, a package. A package, not a product, a package. And then they dump $30 million in the hopes that they're going to make a two, $300 million product. And then it doesn't work. And then they look confused. And it takes them two or three years to do it because it comes out over here in R&D and they have to test the heck out of it. They can't make any claims about it. They have protocols about it. It takes these guys two years. These guys are testing a package on Facebook, seriously, on Facebook and do some company, some intercepts. And then they get somebody in China who's going to do a scaling operations. That is how products come together. That does not work. So what's the first thing you would say to someone who took that route? First thing I said was, that's not going to work. <laughs> What's the second so, thing? So the second thing was, who's actually making a product? Who owns product management? Who's making a product? And who actually asked anybody, did they want a product? And what's the product they want? And what's the product they want to eat? And they didn't have an answer for that. That role, that Those roles did not exist. Hmm. They have brand marketers. And then they have R&D. So who owns who owns product, mm -hmm. who has a target on their back with a number, maybe brand marketing. Yeah, but who has, who owns the thing that somebody has to consume and ingest, right? And so we actually worked with a company to actually build a rather detailed product innovation process to try to get them there. Extremely detailed with deliverables at every step. Here's the documents deliverables that should come out of that. And here's a map of the process. And then during the process, here are the deliverables at each of these points. Yeah, and then here are the roles that are still missing for you. I mean, they were about ready to start having an entrepreneur process and out the gate at the A-B testing of a package, they were gonna give them a quarter of a million dollars. I went, but they didn't show you anything. They didn't have any deliverables. Well, they A-B tested a package. That gets you a quarter of a million dollars? shoot, I need to come over here. And then, you know, you got something else, you, you know, you do something else and you got another 500,000. And they were trying to create a portfolio that was somehow going to return them in three years, $300 million portfolio. I was like, I've lived there, right? And so, you know, what are the things, I come back to your point, what is, what can they learn is, what does it take to really do innovation inside a corporate environment, right? What does that really look like, right? How do you carve that out? What are the, what are the roles? What are the timeframes and targets, right, of expectation? We've talked about what do those months look like for us? And what does that time look like? What does that time look like, like for them? What does it mean not to be in a vacuum, right? What does that mean giving the leeway and the ability to actually allow people to go back out into the field, right? What are the real dollars around that? What are real expectations around products, right? And what does that start to look like and put that back in, right? What are real processes to get to the shelf that are reasonable? You know, it's reasonable for those kinds of companies to believe they can get a good solid product to the shelf in six to eight months. If you told that to a large brand company, they would laugh at you. They would laugh. They don't know how to do that anymore. They don't know how to do that. But I bet you guys do. You guys know how to do that. They can't. Okay, a year, they would still laugh. But you guys know how to do that. And on less than 
benefits of being small and nimble. How do you be small and nimble and really mean it and, and let them pull out a quality product with processes? Can't forget the processes. With processes mm-hmm. that they can see because they're going to want them. And that's understandable, right? They, you know, they don't want people to be sick. Totally get it. Nobody wants people to be sick, right? Nobody, any, you know, entrepreneurs don't either, <laughs> right? That's tra- that are traceable. I still have SKUs and UPCs and has some distribution and affect an audience, right? You can still do that. They wouldn't know how to do that, but you guys will. And that's the thing I think we can give back to them. And they don't have to buy it. They can learn it. They don't have to buy it and mess up another company or just leave it alone in isolation, but have it become part of their culture, mm-hmm. right? And that's what these still haven't figured out how to do. Yeah. So interesting. I was a bit long. <laughs> no, no, I love it. So I just love that speaking from someone who has 20 years of experience uh, knows that the food uh, CPG in specific can give, you know, show tech something, you know, give oh. them a little run for their money, you know. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, if I mean, it doesn't matter if it, it could be food corporate or it could be just pure, pure tech. I mean, if I, if I walked into certain 1450s today and said I was going to do that, you couldn't do that. Mm. And I was notorious for getting large products done on no money, no money. Right. The year I made, you know, 10 billion, I probably spent 2 million. And one year I was supposed to make 2 billion. And I asked for, Asked for three million, though companies were around that were valued at 30 million who were doing the same work. And I think I got 750,000. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. You get nothing and expect to make big dollars, right? Yeah. Um, not so. But you don't get the opportunity to be innovative and you can't get quickly to market. Mm-hmm. And those things may or may not be persistent product use. That's, I mean, it ended something end up being throwaway, right? Like that's something that we tell the small, extra small, even medium size CPG companies is that you have the ability to pivot where these big brands can't. It's going to take them a long time if they need to, and that is what can set you apart and set and set, you know, make you successful is you can pivot and you can listen to your audience and quickly change your offering or your communication, your messaging. And you absolutely can. And, you know, but that means you have to already be thinking about it Mm -hmm. and it's okay to think about it. Or just listening really. Yeah. Or just listening, you know, or spending the time what's next and what else could we be doing and putting it in your back pocket. It's not a betrayal of your current audiences and your current work to always think about what else can I be doing and how can we be doing it better or what's next for us, you know, mm-hmm. you got to have it on the side. And exactly, you know, last year showed that and that's exactly those who in our space survived. That's exactly what they did. Right. Because mm-hmm. they already had a sense of what they could be doing or thoughts that they had had in the past that they had set aside that they came back to, you know, or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of innovations, are there some innovations that you can think of right now that you're seeing in the CPG space that are exciting? Innovations in a space that are exciting. I think delivery, not, and I don't mean delivery mechanisms, but how, things get to audiences in that I like that somehow we've been forced to say we need really need to meet people where they are. So we need to find ways to get get food to where people are. If that is using really finding solutions around vending mechanisms, then folks are going to do that. And I am thinking I mean, I guess it's not that far away. You know, you've seen people try, you know, people with lockers, Mm -hmm. but I'm thinking about getting beyond lockers. If you're going to have 
Remember, I come from a place where it is all about individualized, customized, personalized experiences. <laughs> so how do I have a vending system that is ultimately customized, but it is your food customization? So in that, here's the, here's the example. Let me be very specific. You know, um, you remember Alpaca Market? You don't. Okay. So there has been uh, food vending cold food vending systems or prepared meal vending systems that have been in markets and stores and places for a while, but they've not gone over horribly well because they, it can be high, uh, high touch to supply to them. Um, and if the prepared food does not sell very quickly, then you've got a lot of turnover in those spaces. So um, it, they can be high cost to do that. Uh, but how do you have fresh food, fresh salads, uh, fresh smoothies or things like that um, in some sort of cold vending mechanism. Even more so, how do you have something like prepared meals in them? Mm. Even more so, how do you have groups of prepared meals in them, if, especially if you're doing food in insecure, food insecure places? And so finding ways to solve those kinds of challenges and issues, I think is the next great thing that still mm. has to get solved because I've got to not only have it be able to be indoor, outdoor, I've got to be able to have it locked. I've got to have it know you. Mm -hmm. I come back to this authentication question and how much it knows, not just the storage of it, mm -hmm. right? But I've got to be able to manage it remotely. And it's easier for it to know you than for me to have to check it, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. That makes total sense. Um, it's just... It's hard to think on how that's possible now since we're kind of leaning into this more era of privacy, I guess, is the way I would put it. Well, this is the ultimate in privacy, right? Uh -huh. it's, it's easier for the system to know you than for me to have to have to check on it. I only want to check to make sure that it's gone. I don't want to have to handle or manage it knowing you. And so whether that's fingering, knowing this is the Smith family or somebody from the Smith family who's coming to get all of their food out of one of the slots and all of the meals. It could be anybody from the Smith family. I don't care to come by and pick all the meals up. And it's only the things out at one slot, not opening the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's by slot. So I can put 15 meals for the Smiths in there, six meals for the Samuelsons in here whatever that is, that can control that level of individual personalization and customization. I see. Okay. And, but manage the system. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like we need to put this in a time capsule, come back to it in five years and be like, wait, I'm waiting for somebody to come and talk to, <laughs> waiting for somebody to come and talk to me, the product manager. Ooh, <laughs> I look forward to this. It sounds so no. spacey right now, but <laughs> Oh, it's not that it's not that it's not that spacey. I mean, if you can have an individual small robotic vehicle drive up to your address with your hot pizzas inside, right? Right. That costs way more and has way more technology in it than a standing multi-door locker that has individual coding on each of those. And how is recognition in face recognition? How, how are you thinking the food is produced? Is there? Yes. Somebody like somebody would have to produce that, but okay. yeah. Okay. Those, I wasn't those, yeah. items, those items in there. That's fine. That's actually pretty standard transport. Mm -hmm. It is about the machine. It's about the mechanism itself and making that viable and affordable. Hmm. And having to partner with Amazon. Because, because <laughs> and I'm sure Amazon already. I used to, mm. I used to talk to them. I need them to call me back. <laughs> um, you know, the, the real issue is, yeah, but that one slot, the Smiths don't use it anymore. Now it belongs to the Chevaliers. Mm -hmm. I don't need anybody ever to touch it. I just need that to be reprogrammed. Mm -hmm. And then tomorrow it's the Smiths again. Pretty neat. Food and tech. That is pure food and tech. Mm -hmm. And I, I want that. I want to make that. I want to be the product manager who does that. I need somebody to call me. <laughs> call her. We'll call Joy, please. Gonna have, we're going to have your 
information in the show notes. If anybody I hears mean, this, I, I need to own that. <laughs> I want the IP for that. Yeah. Yeah. You heard it here. I mean, uh, set in stone. That to me is, is huge. And then the other part is um, I still think we haven't gotten there yet in CPG. I think CPG can get there, but I'm still not sure how. I don't think it'll take a huge investment. I think it's just a commitment in the teams. And that really is the move to food is medicine. And that, I don't think we have the, I'm not sure we have the right tech for that yet. It's not somebody sort of, it's not something like a a food lab determining the, the pH of your food. It is, I'm not quite sure we have the technical support for that yet. And it's not just a nutritionist on staff. It's something else. Um, That is a tough one with lobbyists and big pharma kind of working maybe against food as medicine. No, I don't think so. I I think that's going to be driven by the insurance companies. Mm. I think the insurers want it uh, as part of their benefits packages. Okay. Um, Because it's risk management and it's quality. That's correct. And they're driven by quality scores like NPS scores, except their benefits and insurer scores. And they get, they see more dollars by higher NPS scores. And what drives NPS scores? It's those benefits packages they call you about and saying, hey, do you know we also have a gym membership that you can get? And we have food that you can get. And we have these other things that you can get. And we have all these um, um, you know, your diabetes um, strips and your glucose monitor is also free in our programs. Those additional, they call those the support programs or benefit packages programs. Um, that's all about quality and risk management. So that's saving them money in the long term. I mean, I wish my insurance company would call me twice a week and tell me to go work out and eat a salad. I mean, yeah. I would. <laughs> and so some programs you can. And Having food be a, having CPG realize that they're looking for you. Mm -hmm. So what do you need to have in your company to have your food be eligible to be in these programs? And what does that look like? And what does that start to look like? Very cool. So the big question I wanted to ask, uh, and you had mentioned it before the call and just really want to wrap my head around this uh, from a, a products expert you have said that the entrep- the entrepreneur needs to think of themselves as a product. What do you mean? That at the beginning of your company's life, the thing that most often is being sold, in fact, is you. Mm. That you are the brand of the company that people will, what people and what investors often look for, you know this. They will take an A team and a B product, right? Yeah, that's and, so right. And sometimes, and mo- many entrepreneurs don't realize that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to have one of my own friends and mentors remind me all the time. I, they tell me, and I know people don't believe it, I am an introvert. And he says, you will never get away from it, Joy. You are the face of the cook's nook. No matter what you do, no matter how you try, no matter how many people you elevate, no matter how much of a website you stick out there, it will always be about you. And I sat, he saw me do this in the chair. (laughs) No matter how many good ideas, it will always be about you. And I just have to say, okay, you know, and it's true. People are going to invest in, in you or me, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I tell my other fellow introverts, that's okay. For the extroverts, they're like, okay. Uh, <laughs> like I'm ready. Been born ready. Sure. Uh, so CPG founders, think of yourself as a product. As your product. As, as your product. product. As the first product, right? Mm-hmm. So what are your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? <laughs> What are your best features? What are the ones you have to work on, right? You know, 
where where do you need to make those investments where are you know the cells that you have to work on <laughs> that spreadsheet right those same questions you have to ask you know about you and the business because you and the business are the same no that didn't say product but you and the business are the same and you have to sell you in that business and that's where those processes and all those other things become really important have you done those things to make sure that they see that there is a healthy company around you that you come as a healthy package and it's something they can do business with they can do business with you and that's not only going to help you attract the actual consumers that's going to help you attract that rock star team that everyone that team you need wants and mm -hmm. the investors you need exactly mm -hmm. exactly very interesting and we haven't even talked about the product yet right the other, the other product the one you actually eat the other yeah, <laughs> yeah the other product right yeah and we talk about that so much in marketing how people buy your brand story and how important that is and really believing in it is the first step solving that pain point for yourself or for others. Like, exactly. It is. And, you know, feeling and, and always, you know, what's so hard is feeling like you're always delivering on the brand promise, you know, and, and delivering on it every day, you know, as best you can delivering on it every day and having your team deliver on it every day too. We can always get so caught up in the weeds, mm -hmm. you know, and reminding your team about it too. Here's our brand promise and how are we delivering and shaping and delivering on it every day. And God knows some days you feel like you didn't. Oh my God. A lot God. of days. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, Ooh. but you just, you just, you're sticking at it every day, mm -hmm. every day. Well, Joy, it's been such a pleasure. This has been such a nice conversation. We're so excited that we got to meet you and learn from you. And I can't wait for our next conversation, hopefully in person. <laughs> uh, I know. I think, I think you guys, you guys actually had like, like real questions and stuff. I had to actually think and talk. <laughs> and I can't believe you got me to talk about venture forth. <laughs> I haven't talked about that in a while. Kevin's going to go, oh my God. Uh-oh. Hey, I'm going to tell you, I mean, that affected me enough where I had to put him on my little board of advisors. Ooh, Kevin. I okay. I know. I know. I learned, I learned a lot in Venture Forth and a lot of it was about myself. Hey, that's good learning. That is really cool. So yeah, thank you so much. And you've shared so much wisdom and just the marriage of tech and CPG. I, I just love it. So thank you, Joy. And if people are listening to this and they want to reach out or check you out, how, how can they find oh you? Oh my gosh. They can find, <laughs> you can find me. I am Cook Snook Austin on Facebook um, and on Instagram. And I think on LinkedIn, but you can just find me as Joy Chevalier on LinkedIn. You'll find all my, all my professional stuff there. Um, but definitely Cook Snook Austin. Oh, and on Twitter, Cook Snook Austin on okay. Facebook. Instagram Ooh, and Twitter. Okay. And on, and on Twitter. Yeah. Sometimes we're on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, actually everything from Instagram goes to Twitter too. So, okay. and so, yep. And then I think that's it. Oh, and, and then on the website, cooksnook.net. And then um, we have, you know, workshops on different topics with folks in the community. I think there's one on Saturday with Brian Marshall of BCL business and community lenders of Texas. And he's talking about getting new channels and new partners. And you guys remember Ben Ponder and the guys in uh, mm -hmm. Barcode? Well, we're supposed to have a talk with Ben, though he's gone to Dallas and they're running their co-packing facility up there. We convinced Ben to have a talk and hopefully he will be on one of our talks in a few weeks. So it'll be good to talk to Ben again. Awesome. So check out the events page at cooksnook.net. Yeah, cooksnook.net, but it'll also we'll also post it elsewhere too. Okay, great. Joy, thank you again. This was really great. It was uh, great to meet you, you as guys well. For coming. You thanks guys so much, Joy. And thanks for all the stuff that y'all are doing. <laughs> we we try, we try to show up every day, just like you said. I know, so. every day. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks, Joy. Okay, Good thank luck you. today <laughs> with all of with everything, all the systems. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.
Umay Social Circle is a CPG agency-driven podcast based out of Austin, Texas. We're excited to share more behind-the-scene insights, chats with industry leaders, and whatever else we learn along the way. Follow us on Instagram at Umay Marketing or check out our website, umaymarketing.com. Catch you back here soon.